is up! Welcome inside Studio 34. Welcome to Doc Jock. That is Dr. Mitchell Roslin. I am Greg Sussman. We are just about 15 minutes away from officially being 24 hours into NBA free agency. And Doc, the entire landscape of the National Basketball Association has changed. It, it certainly has. I think we should have gotten our Knicks under picks in last week as, as that line's going to go down. Everybody seems to be very high on the Philadelphia 76ers, um, even with the loss of Jimmy Butler, which kind of surprised me, or at least Charles Barkley was. Um, and you can go no further about how dead wrong we were. We said that if you're going to, you know, Frank Sinatra used to sing, I love New York, not I love Brooklyn. And I was born in Brooklyn. And well, Brooklyn is in New York. <laughs> you know, it is in New York. And, but I, I really thought that if somebody was going to relocate, so certain things you're right about. Like I, I thought that Durant's body language of taking off to New York and announcing his surgery without the inclusion of the Warriors medical staff, to me, was a strong announcement that he had broken all ties. Sure. Now, uh, you, know, you know, they make movies about reconciliations, but I think that really showed that he was broken all ties. So I am not surprised that he left. And then when he opted out, because financially, I, you know, we discussed, he sh- you know, financially, he should have opted in and then forced him them into five years um, if they would have done that and had six years on the contract instead of four at high numbers. When he opted out, I think that was a clear indication that he was leaving. Because he, you know, he would have been better off with the thirty-one and then the max mm-hmm. deal to do that, um, you know. And I, I think there's another message here, which is that in the salary cap era, even though this is the loosest salary cap in the world, like there's ways around everything, as you mm-hmm. can see, Jimmy Butler going to Miami. Well, let's, let's not jump around. Let's let, let's. So, but even in the salary cap era. Quality of life and perception means a lot. And you just have to wonder how much damage, how much played into it when Charles Oakley gets moved out of Madison Square Garden. And it seems, honestly, that in New York, the Knicks have to function like a small market team. I don't agree with that. They're acting like a small market team, to be honest with you. But I'll start with the piece that got Kevin Durant there. There were rumors forever that Kyrie wanted to play for a team he grew up loving. That was the, that was the Nets. He was a, he's from New Jersey. He was always a Nets fan. He ultimately, very, very early on, it seems, makes the decision he's going to sign with the Brooklyn Nets. Now, there's the conversation that Durant and Kyrie want to play together. But you and I sat here, and we said two different things. One, if you're going to leave Golden State, you want to be the guy. There's no point of leaving Golden State if you're not going to be the guy. Now, maybe the Achilles injury changed that, but our process was just a week or two ago. You're not going to leave if you're not going to be the guy. Durant's not the guy. If you're going to leave and you're going to go to New York, you're going to go to New York. You're going to go to the Garden, Madison Square Garden, the you're Knicks. Gonna, you're going to lift the Knicks, have the low, worst record of the last 19 years. Right. You're going to put the cape on. You're right. going to lift them up. Superman. Okay? And you're going to prove that you could do what LeBron could do. And then he went... To Brooklyn, the Nets, a team that just three years ago was in the gutter, much like the Knicks. They had no picks. They had no hope. And they smartly hired Sean Marks. They smartly hired Kenny Atkinson, and they have built this culture. And you mentioned the Knicks. I'll bring them in. What the Knicks have done with their cap space, and I want to get into this, 
is they've tried to now build a, a culture. Everybody signed for the same amount of time. Everyone signed for essentially the they same no amount of money. Long term. Two years. Everybody's two years. Randall's three years with a third year option. They Correct. can get out of every single deal. You know, the Knicks. Are, what the Knicks are doing is, the Knicks are. You know, there's several ways. You know, people think that the Warriors were a overnight mercenary, mercenary built team. The truth of the matter is, the core of the Warriors were three players that outperformed their draft status. You know, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. And Draymond Green. So especially Draymond Green was a second-round pick who will probably be a Hall of Famer. Okay? He's certainly borderline Hall of Famer. Strong chance that he will be a Hall of sure, Famer. absolutely. And Steph and Clay are virtually guaranteed Hall of Famers. Now, yes, one was drafted six, and I think Clay was in the teens, right? Clay was in the teens, ninth to the teens? Uh, I, don't think he was in the, I thought he was in the lottery. I thought Clay was in the lottery. Clay was... Pick number 11. I 11. Thought, yeah. I thought he was in the teens. Yeah. Low teens. So those are relatively high draft picks, but certainly not Hall of Fame. You, you don't usually get too many Hall of Famers at that point in time. But, you know, to be perfectly honest, we haven't had that many Hall of Famers in, in, the, you know, in the very first few picks. So they had three players that outperformed their draft stats. Sure. Okay. And that's the other way you get better. You know, the, you, you, know, you know, if you're the Knicks, you're hoping that Mitchell Robinson – is their Draymond Green, that's the second-round pick, that outplays their draft status. The Nets have been fortunate that Carolus Levert seems to be on the verge of, of outplaying his draft status. Jared Allen seems to be outplaying his draft status. Certainly, certainly the um, um, Harris, who was signed as a free agent, is way better than they saw, as well as Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, so they've built a relatively nice group of players that are outperformed their status. But I also think what's really interesting is the Nets is that culture is that people want to play for Kenny Atkinson. They buy into Sean Marks, and it's interesting that they bring in Kyrie, who really disrupted that culture in Boston, which we'll get to in a few moments. And they believe that he will push them forward. I've read a lot of people today that said, "Hey, D'Angelo Russell is Kyrie Irving that much better?" Yes. I think he is, to be honest with you. But is it worth potentially disrupting that culture? The answer is so far they've gotten everything right and they wanted to go to the next level. Yep. What people like people like my friend Fran will tell you yep. is that D'Angelo Russell's a limited player. Mm-hmm. You don't have any problem of attacking him on defense. Um, he, he, there are ways to play him defensively. Now, he, he's gotten to be a much better finisher than he was in Ohio State. Um, you know, the advantage of D'Angelo Russell is he can play the point, he can play the two, but he's not a super athlete for either position. So I think that defensive pressure, you know, now you're getting into the thing that, that, that Brad Stevens was throwing his arms up because they had no idea why Kyrie was winding up on yep. Giannis in, in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. whether he'll be able to coach Kyrie, that's a different story. But, it, but D'Angelo has his limitations. And I think that the Nets are playing to try to win a championship. I think that, you know, and again, that's really the real question here is, what's the objective? Is the objective to sneak into the playoffs? And I mean, I think that's where Charlotte's gone wrong. Or is the objective to win a championship? And, and what is that objective? And maybe the problem with the Knicks is 
The Knicks' first objective should be to get into the playoffs and build stage-wise. But again, none of us believe that in the NBA. Again, I think what the Knicks have done is they pivoted. I'm going to ask you the big question that Knicks Twitter is wondering now. It's not the deals that we're seeing. It's, it's the players for, for the Knicks. So you pivot away. You don't get Durant. You don't get Kyrie. You're never in the mix for Kawhi. Kemba signs with Boston in the blink of an eye. And, and, and let's go through, through that. If you're not getting Durant, do you really want Kemba? No. No, you don't, you don't want anybody. You don't want anybody. And that was a big fear of Knicks fans. They would spend a lot of money on a Chris Middleton or a Tobias Harris or something like that. Instead, they pivot to these one and two, and in the case of Julius Randle, three-year deals with a team option involved in all of them. And you, you know, on the surface, if I told you that, okay, that makes sense. But the specific players, it's three power forwards in Julius Randle, in Taj Gibson, in Bobby Portis. It's two shooting guards slash small forwards in Reggie Bullock and Wayne Ellington. It's another point guard that isn't exactly known for his shooting, much like Dennis Smith Jr. in Alfred Payton. It's a lot of the same. So the quick question the Knicks fans have are, are these signings that we've just spent all of our cap money on, are they going to stop the development of our younger players? Mitchell Robinson, a big man. R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox, two scorers, two what could be or should be shooters, Dennis Smith Jr., who they acquired for Christoph Porzingis in a move to clear up cap space in a deal that looks terrible now, is what the Knicks doing make sense to you? The Knicks are just buying lottery tickets right now. Okay. They're, hoping, they're, hoping that one of, they're hoping that between these players, one of them is an emerging Oladipo or an emerging D'Angelo Russell. And we saw that actually to a, a cheaper extent last year, right? Bringing in Mario Arizona, bringing in Noah Vonley, some of these this failed is, lottery picks. So, so you, you know, the, what the Knicks hope for is you hope that Barrett is superstar. A, a superstar, okay? And then you basically look amongst those other players to see if any of them are better than you perceive them to be. So, in other words, you know, the real question that I'd ask is, is Bobby Portis better than Noah Vonley? Okay, the Knicks obviously think he has a higher sure. upside. Also costs more, though. He also costs more, but, you know, Bobby Portis can shoot it. He's he, 24 years old. He's 24 years old. Is, 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 do any of these guys, do any of these guys, now, I can tell you, Randall to me is this generation Zach Randall. Nothing but wrong with that. You, you put him on any team, well, Again, you remember Zach Randolph towards his Memphis Grizzly, and other. When, if you look at Zach Randolph when he was on the Knicks, whatever team he's on, he gets minutes. He's better than everybody else. He scores points, and they say he's a defensive liability. Yes, but he was never on a team that won any games. Yes, until he was on that Memphis team mm-hmm. with Gasol and Mike Conley. Yes, and and that's why your perception of him is better. You, you know, Julius Randolph. Uh, Randall has scored points, you know, New Orleans, the Lakers, Lakers mm-hmm. and, you know, 24 points a game last year, I believe, and the Pelicans, you know, two teams have given up on him. And, you, you know, you're going to say they didn't give up on him, but they, they didn't resign him. You know, they, uh, the, the yeah, Lakers... So, so the Lakers themselves had a weird offseason last year. It, it still doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to throw that out the window. Okay. I really am. This is what the Pelicans are going to give you because they lost Anthony Davis. They lost DeMarcus Cousins. They had Zion Williamson, and you wanted to pair him with somebody, and they chose to pair him with Derek Favors 
instead of Julius Randle. You're absolutely right. They let Julius Randle just go away. So Julius Randle, okay, you know, when we play over-under and stuff sure. like that, uh-huh. he's going to average 23, 24 points yeah. a game. Mm-hmm. He's going to get his points. The question you always ask, and, and, and this is the same, don't mean to reiterate this, is that somebody's going to score in the 20s. This is the same point I made about Barrett being rookie of the year. You know, somebody's going to score in the 20s in bad teams. So the question is, is how efficient Randall's going to be and how much he gives up on, on the defensive side of the court. That's really going to be the question with, with, with Randall. He, he is the duplicate of, of, uh, of Zach Randall. So does he compute on a winning team? Thus far in his career, no. one of the things is the Knicks have signed a lot of players that have always, you know, the, the three players that they, you mentioned, you know, been on losing teams. Now, the, you know, Portis and, and, and Julius Randle, who, you know, I guess the three players that they signed that have upside are Peyton, Julius Randle, and Bobby Portis, theoretically. And then they, they, they signed three players to make them competitive or to trade for second-round draft picks at the trade deadline. So I think the idea of trading Ellington and Bullock was maybe we catch lightning in the bottle, but everybody wants shooting at the deadline. We can get second-round picks for them. So that's, absolutely, so that's absolutely right. I'm glad you brought that up. That all these guys, given that they're team options, you can trade them at the deadline and get second-round picks for them. Ellington Bullock, we saw it last year. Both those guys get traded. So, I agree. Hodge Gibson, I couldn't figure out. Well, that's just, that's just the veteran leadership to, to teach Mitchell Robinson and play defense. Precisely. It's DeAndre Jordan from last year is what that is. That's whatever to me. But you brought up the point of trading away a Wayne Ellington or Reggie Bullock for a second-round pick sometime this year for teams that always look for shooting. And you're right about that. But what I'm seeing a lot of on Nick's Twitter and, and NBA Twitter in general is that, okay, you signed Julius Randle, this stat stuffer, this young player. We'll see what he turns into. And that's half your cap space, give or take. It's $60 million. But for that other half that you just spent on Bullock and Ellington and Gibson and Peyton and uh, Portis, why wouldn't you take on other people's crap mm-hmm. and get First-round picks. We saw it today with Mo Harkless traded in this Jimmy Butler deal. We'll get to that in a moment. We saw that before the draft with T.J. Warren, the Suns to the Pacers. We saw that with the Nets to the Hawks, giving away first-round picks in the future, 2021, 2022, 2023. Just like the, the, the Nets did to clear up the caps. Precisely. Alan Crabb, exactly. You get rid of Alan Crabb, but you give a first-round pick to go with it. We see it all the time in the NBA. Instead, the Knicks sign all of these reserves and maybe they'll get second-round picks for them. Why? Why, why? why not do it the other way and get first-round picks? I, I, I thought they were going to try to make trades. You know, one of the, there is a paucity of very, very bad contracts out there. Sure. Um, and I, but again, I think that the Knicks should be assembling as much draft capital as they possibly can. Because, you, you know, the, the real question is, and, and, and I haven't seen Everett Payton play Enough, Alfred Mayton. Okay, to, to 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 judge that is can any of the three players that are less than thirty be a part of a winning team? That's really the question. And I mean, the way they look at it is, if one of them is, then that's a win for them. Sure, but they they made their bet just looking at the and contract. they like Randall better than we do. Correct. They me and I like I like Randall. I like him. I like him more than you do, and that's fine. They made their bet with Julius. Well, Randall. my question is, do you think that Randall wins your basketball games? I know, know he's going to score points. I think Randall could be a part of a winning team. I don't think that ultimately. Where, where do you play him? 
You're gonna. I, I think on this team you're playing him at the four next to Mitchell Robinson, right? He doesn't jump well. I know. I know he, he doesn't. He, but he's, just, and he's a bad defender. That's why they put him next to a good defender in Robinson, theoretically. Theoretically, but, but my my point is they're they're whole they're casting their their bets here that Randall's the guy that could develop into a into a player on a winning team. Gibson, Hortis, Ellington, Bullock, Peyton. They're not gonna do that. No. But so why not? Just take on these crappy contracts. They should. They, they don't have, have any space anymore. They, 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 screwed up. they haven't figured out how to tank well. <laughs> That's the problem. Okay. They, you know, and I also think that they truly don't want to tank next year. I, I it t- worked this year. You got R.J. Barry. Okay. But I, I think that, you know, they're still selling $1,500 tickets. I, I think they want the illusion. I mean... You know, if, if Fisdale wins less than 20 games, it's going to be hard to tell people that he's a really great Agreed. basketball coach. I agree. Okay? I, I, I think that, you know, the other thing is last year was their first full year. In their own minds, they want to show at least a 10-15 game improvement. Well, what, 17 games last year? They want to win 26 this year. I don't think that moves the envelope. I think they want to win 30 to 35. Ugh. Ugh. I mean, I think that's what they want to do. I mean, I think that's what they want to do. And, and, and you know, again, it, 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 it's, it's a little early, but most people have, like, James Weissman being the top pick in the NBA draft. And, again, nobody's saying that he's a legendary type of player. I mean, now, let's be fair. Zion came out of nowhere to be, you know, considered. Like, LeBron was known for years, you know. LeBron was, you know, the savior for years. He's just so well-known, you, you, know, you know, just like Patrick Ewing was the savior for years. Elijah Wan was very, you know, known entity. Shaquille O'Neal. There haven't been too many like that, you know, bona fide first sure. picks. Sure, You know, when you actually look at, look at coming into the league and, uh, you know, since that time. But, you know, a lot of different things. So, so I think that the Dolan factor has come into play. I really, really have to say it. I don't did. think there's any doubt about that. Any I, doubt. I, 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 and it's interesting. It doesn't play along the ranges. When I was coming down here, I saw the ranges to yeah. find the top yeah. free agent. The ranges have been able to get kids out of college. The perception of the ranges that Dolan also very different. is very, very different. But, you know, again, I guess being, you know, even though, you know, both of us are Jewish, we're, we're not considered minorities in New York. We don't perceive, but there's something about Dolan and, and certain players that, that, you know, basically, you know, it's, it's put a kibosh. And, I mean, I think that's what, really what this is a reflection on. Because I think, you know, the Knicks had a very progressive front office. They're the only team in the NBA that has an all-African-American front office. And they really, you know, we were hearing that teams only want to sign with all-stars. Well, the only all-star the Nets had was D'Angelo Russell. And, he's gone. And he's gone. So, I mean, we can talk about Carlos, uh, uh, you know, Levert all we want and Jared Allen. But, I mean, is that much is, – is, is Levert – would you trade Levert for R.J. Barrett? I, I wouldn't do that no, if I'm the Knicks. No, of course not. Of course so, not. So it, yeah, the, the Nets, like I told – like I started the show, they built a culture there with Sean Marks and with Kenny Atkinson and impressed their I, – I think it goes from the coaching to the general manager – the training staff. We, I, you, you said it didn't matter last week. I'm going to ask you it again. Whose doctor performed this surgery on Kevin Durant? 
Marty O'Malley. Yeah. The next team doctor. They believe in that training system, in that medical system that has taken their time with every player coming back from injury. Well, it's interesting, too. They built a beautiful facility right in Brooklyn, right at Boston. Correct. The Knicks facility is up in, West, up in Westchester near where I live. And the players want to live in the city. And when the Knicks first built that facility, the Ranger players have always loved that facility. Yeah. But don't forget, your average hockey player comes from a small town, usually, frequently in Canada, New York, et cetera. They like living in the suburbs and coming into the city to play their games. The Knicks players used to live in White Plains and complain about coming down to the city, you know, and then they would move down to the city. A, a lot of them live in the Sky Building, right, where, uh, where, where the Lifetime Fitness and there's a basketball court there that they'll work out and that they close. But, but they don't like having to go to Westchester to practice. You know, and that's an interesting thing. I don't know how much that goes into it to, to some extent, but I, what I'm, I guess the point is that everybody can pay everybody pretty much the same. There's a limit. So quality of life means everything. And the Knicks are not perceived as a good quality of life amongst NBA players. I think that's the take-home message. Absolutely. I don't think there's any disagreement there. Let me stay in the Atlantic Division as we continue on going over free agency. And that brings us to the well, first. first question before we leave. What do you think the upside is for the Nets right now? Where do you think they This have? year? Let's go this year and go three years from now. So last year, the Nets were the sixth seed. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, barely. But there was really no difference between six and to nine, virtually. Definitely, definitely. But they were the sixth seed. How much better can Kyrie Irving make them in the East this year than the sixth seed? I don't know all that different. I really don't. Like I look at the teams, and a lot of it does depend on Kawhi Leonard, which we still don't have a word on yet. Where do you think he goes? I stand by it. He goes back to Toronto. We'll see. On one year deal. One year and a player option. What LeBron was doing in Cleveland. Um, I think that you're looking at four, five, six seed again. I don't know that there's enough on this team. You have Kyrie, absolutely. But is he a 10-game upgrade on D'Angelo Let's go Russell? through the rest of the Atlanta, and then so we'll I don't go want, back. I don't, I don't, don't want to do that because I want to talk about the free agencies by the team. Okay. That's what brings me to Philadelphia, one of the teams that I have ahead of the Nets, right? Because what Philadelphia did is really interesting. Supposedly, from what I read, they offered maxes to both Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris accepted it. The highest contract that he could possibly get. Jimmy Butler did not. Jimmy Butler decided to take his talents to Miami. To South Beach, that's what I should have said it. I was an idiot. Took his talents to South Beach. But in doing so, one of the most money, of course. So they did a bit of a sign and trade. So the Sixers actually made out okay here. Because they got Josh Richardson back. And then they also opened up space to sign Al Horford, which I think is a really interesting fit next to MB, because Horford will play power forward then, which is really interesting. What have, you th- what have you thought of the Sixers' moves over the last 24 hours? I always thought Al Horford's the, I have always told you that Al Horford's the most underrated player yes, in you the have. NBA. Yes, you have. I, I, you know, Al Horford is, is the player's player. You, you know, you know he, 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 the similarity to me is Rashid Wallace. Okay. That everybody in the NBA used to tell me that, Rashid, you know, that I knew was Rashid Wallace was much better than you think he is. Al Horford is ridiculously strong. You know, he hits the outside shot. He is a winning player. Going back to what we talked about with the Knicks, the Knicks signed a whole bunch of players, none of whom knows how to win. 
Sure. Okay? Which is why you short them. Al Horford has won everywhere he's been. Yeah. He's outperformed. Every single year he was in Atlanta, Atlanta won more games yeah. than you th- thought they were going to win. Absolutely. Before last year, the Celtics always went further than you thought they were going to go. Okay. Last year, the chemistry was just off, which is one of the reasons I think he left. So I think he shoots it well. I think he defends well. I, I think that also when Embiid takes his vacation, he stays out on the court. Um, I think and they are putting up what is one of the longest teams that I've ever seen, you know, in terms of length. I mean, they can go across, you, you know, they can go across, you know, basically be 6'10 all the way across, and, you know, Josh Richardson. And, and I think that's really going to bother people an awful lot. I do think they're going to miss J.J. Redick. I think so, too. I, I think that J.J. Redick was a real, you know, spacer. And my question with the Sixers, and I think Al Horford, Al Horford doesn't miss open shots. Doesn't have the greatest release in the world, but he doesn't miss open shots. He can play. He, he can guard. He can play. But my problem with the Sixers is when you have Embiid and you have Ben Simmons on the court, if do they have enough spacing out there to, 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 to do that? Um, I also think that Embiid is very fragile, you know, go, going back to, you know, the health, health concerns. I mean, he, there's just something about whether he's actually going to be there when it comes showtime. I'd always downgrade Philadelphia because your best player, I mean, I guess injuries can happen to anybody as we saw in the Warriors, but I think Embiid missing playoff games is something that would be a predictable type thing. I think that's fair. We've seen that a lot over the last year, that vacation you mentioned with Joel Embiid, the playoffs with his knee that he wasn't 100% out for his insurance in that way. And as a young player, when you hear that it takes him two hours to get ready to play a game, that's a little concerning. I mean, if that was J.J. Redick, you know, squeezing, a, a, you know, a 16th year out of that body. Mm-hmm. But, you know, honestly, Embiid has very few miles on his speedometer. If you add up the number of NBA and college minutes that he's played, it's a very low number for him to be this problematic. You know, he missed his first two years coming out of Kansas. He only played one year of Kansas that he played, played part of. And this is really his second year being on the court. So if you look at the number of years we've known Embiid's name and the amount of minutes he's played, it's really a low number for the amount of, you know, disturbances that he has. I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> I agree. And, and that's true. You look at the Sixers team, you mentioned with J.J. Redick leaving, they miss out on major three-point shooting, obviously. Um, that's something that they'll have to get picked up by Josh Richardson, by Tobias Harris. They're going to have to step up to space the floor better. But they don't have great... Redick has a great release. No doubt. That, that, you see, that's the thing that people don't, don't know. The speed... You know, one of the things that you wonder is, like, why is Kyle Carver still in the NBA? Sure. Okay? You, you know, you, know you, go, you go to a gym and you see other six-foot-seven people that can shoot it really, really well. Mm-hmm. The answer is he knows how to come off of picks. He knows how to... You know, he has a fantastic release and gets rid of the ball before great NBA players can close. So there's a huge difference between just great shooters and Tobias Harris hitting it and somebody like Redick and Kyle Korver who just know how to mm-hmm. do that well. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why those guys get jobs, you know, you, you know, that you can almost wheel them yes. out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jimmy Butler, as we said, he goes down to Miami in a very complicated trade um, that landed Hassan Whiteside in Portland, mm-hmm. that landed uh, the Clippers an extra first-round pick and Mo Harkless, and it landed Miami, Jimmy Butler. This fit makes sense in that we'll remember a year ago when Jimmy Butler wanted out of Minnesota, Miami was his first choice. He wanted to go play in South Beach with the Heat. But you look at this team and what they have, and you're like, why? Why? Exactly. Why? Yeah, you want to go play in Miami, think, I get it. I mean, I think they have a better coach than the Knicks. Okay? I, I, sure. I, I, but I, I'm not sure what else they really have. You know, I mean, they're at best an 8th to 12th seed in the East. You know, they're, they're somewhere there. They're certainly not top five. I mean, if you go through the East in the top, I, I mean, I think that, you know, again, you have the big, you know, where is Leonard going to sign? Um, but I think Milwaukee. I think Indiana's better. Okay. Boston is interesting. I think Boston, you have to say, is a little worse, but Kemba Walker's a great finisher. You know, and if you wonder how many games players like Kemba Walker can actually win for you that are close at the end of the game. Let's get into Boston because I think, I think it was really interesting because the number one problem, you mentioned it and I mentioned it, everybody mentioned it, was that chemistry issue in Boston. You're not going to have that with Kemba Walker. No. Kemba Walker is a winner and he's a good dude. And a great finisher. Great finisher. And he's become, oh, a, great and he's become a better three-point shooter. He's worked on that over the last decade. And, and you know what? At, in the last, I used to say that in my time, in the last minute of a game, I thought that the best player in the West was Kobe Bryant. Right. And the best player in the East was Paul Pierce. Okay. I thought Paul Pierce was an assassin. Yes. Well, I guess the Knicks, he certainly was. Coming down the stretch. I think that, you know, it's interesting. I never thought LeBron James was a great finisher. I okay. thought he was a pass, pass first. He certainly wasn't the, the finisher that, that... Kobe and Paul Pierce, uh, I'm sure. Or, or Jordan, for that matter. Okay. And I'm, I'm the biggest LeBron James. I think that we've never seen anybody bigger, faster, to, to do th- more things. But in terms of finishing ability, in a close game, he was no Jordan. Okay. And I think that... You know, by the same token, I thought LeBron in his prime plus any four people is a semifinalist team, and I don't think Jordan ever could do that to the same, same level. So as a, I, I, I honestly believe LeBron is the best basketball player I've ever seen, okay, and the most dominant, and the only other person I'd put in his class in my lifetime yep. would be Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh-huh. And the reason I say Lou Alcindor because I think he was more dominant as he was younger, and then they had to really change the rules for him. But Jordan was the greatest finisher that I've ever seen. And Kobe Bryant was a great finisher. And Paul Pierce was a great finisher. Um, I think Kemba Walker is a first-class finisher. You know, college, pro games, et cetera. Never been really on a good team. But UConn, I mean, he took UConn to the national title by himself. And, 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 and basically, Big East tournament, every game in that tournament. End of the game, Kemba Walker would figure out a way to score. In, in, do, 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 doing those things. So I think Kemba Walker is a great finisher. A, again, you know, not saying anything r- r- revolutionary here, 
the real thing with the Celtics is is what Gordon Hayward did they sign? Did they sign the player, you know, now two years back that 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 Utah had? Because mm-hmm. if if Gordon Hayward's there, mm-hmm. um, they and- so the other issue that they did defensively, they're gonna have some issues. Kyrie's a good defender. Al Horford's a fantastic defender. They've replaced Al Horford with Ennis Cantor. Certainly not a good defender. Yeah, they, they lo- lost something there. But Ennis Cantor plays his butt off, plays hard. It definitely gets offensive, uh, offensive rebounds. And, you know, I'm sure Brad Stevens feels that he can hide him. Every other coach who's tried to hide Ennis Cantor has not been successful. You know, it was interesting when I used to, we used to see Ennis Cantor a ton, is that the fans loved him because he played his butt off. He rebounds like hell, and he looks like he makes great plays. Okay, and then you'd go home and you read the statistics and you find that 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 the Knicks, the Knicks had the you know the the the, the best points against that the Knicks had was when Porzingis was on the court without him, mm-hmm. and and that he was. You know, he had one of the worst plus-minus ratios in the NBA. Yet, we would go to the game and think he was the best player right, on the court. He was dominating, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I never really knew. That was one t- time that the eye test would definitely fail. But I think most people have Boston as a middle-ranked playoff team. Okay. That, that's fair. That's fine. And then you get to one of the, the, the top-ranked playoff teams, it's Milwaukee, who kept mostly everyone. You, you kept Chris Middleton. You bring back George Hill. You've already re-signed Eric Bledsoe. Giannis is not going anywhere, at least for the next two years. So Milwaukee, Brooke Lopez has been brought back as well. They may be bringing Robin Lopez in, I read. So they're going to be back. But the one guy they lost brings me to Indiana, mm-hmm. where we knew they were on the lookout for a point guard. They desperately needed a point guard. Darren Collison retires. They don't have one. Traded George Hill away a couple of years ago. And someone to play next to Victor Oladipo. They trade for T.J. Warren at the draft. You're like, okay, I like that. I can see that. That's cool. And the point guard that everybody was kind of circling and pointing toward Indiana was Ricky Rubio. Well, Rubio winds up in Phoenix, oddly enough. Because they're the only ones who wanted him. Correct. And the Pacers signed for four years and $85 million a player that, well, really isn't a true point guard. Brogdon. And that's Malcolm Brogdon. But he can shoot it. He can shoot it. And he can defend. He can shoot it. He can defend. He's well coached. And I thought he played better in the playoffs, especially in... Once he got healthy. Once he got healthy, mm-hmm. then, then Bledsoe right. at the end. Yep. Now, saying that, Milwaukee played their best games in the playoffs without him. Um, I was surprised that they let him go. I guess they really didn't Four want Four years to... and $85 million is probably the reason they let him go. But, you know, I, with what was going on... You know, I can't look into their pockets and do it. I would have gone into the luxury tax for one year and brought everybody back because, again, I think that their window of opportunity is small. And even through all this, when you really take a look at it, the NBA is weaker because when we, if we were doing this show last year, we would say there's Golden State, Houston with a puncher's chance, mm-hmm. and the rest of the NBA. Mm-hmm. You agree with that? I agree, absolutely. Now, Golden State has come back to the pack, mm-hmm. and no one believes that Toronto is dominant, even if Kawhi goes back. Mm-hmm. So that means everybody believes, you know, if you're sitting in Milwaukee right now, do you think you can't beat Toronto? If you replayed 
the seven game series. Absolutely. You 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 absolutely. So the fact that Toronto really can't rewind unless obviously you know Kawhi signs with them. If I'm Milwaukee, yesterday I would have done everything to rewind and come back full. And they lost Miratek too. By the it, way, Mir- that was a weird one. He went, he went back to, to Europe. He went back to Europe. Maybe it was the Bobby Portis punch. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, maybe. But yes, but I, but I agree. I think Milwaukee wants. I think that was the only physical play Portis had all year, or something like that. <laughs> I think Milwaukee did everything they could to bring back what they had last year. They signed Wes Matthews to kind of replace Malcolm Brogdon, which I thought was an uh, an okay fit there um, in the East. Let me get to the West. Let me get to the West. Kawhi still stands out. Lakers will have their meeting, or are going to have their meeting, or want their meeting. Same with the Clippers, who Woj has kind of alluded to in recent days, and the Raptors have been eerily silent. Lakers, really interesting. If they don't get Kawhi, they have Anthony Davis, have LeBron, have Kyle Kuzma. But because they've been waiting for Kawhi, they got nothing. There is nothing else out there. Not right now. Everyone thought Bullock was going back to them. Maybe they, you know, but they don't even have any draft picks to give up. And they got nothing. <laughs> they they have nothing. If Kawhi does not sign with the Lakers. I mean, I know LeBron and Anthony Davis are unbelievable. Don't get me wrong. You still need shooters. You still need shooters. You don't have them. Beverly went to... Stayed in L.A. with the Clippers. You know, I, 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 you see, one of the players that I would have liked instead of Peyton, and I know he went for a higher price, would, would have been Rozier. So going back to the East for a moment, right, that's right. Essentially, Boston and Charlotte traded point guards here. Terry Rozier uh, going to Charlotte, Kemba going to, to Boston. And while you may like Rozier better than Peyton, that's fine, and I agree. Is he a winning player? Like, are we sure? Like, what is, what is Charlotte going to gain by investing all this money into Terry Rozier? They had to give money to somebody. That's true. Char- Char- Charlotte misplayed. The, the real question with Charlotte is. Why don't you trade Kemba? Why don't you trade Kemba? If you weren't, weren't going to max him. And is that what you think happened? They didn't max him? Well, they, you know, what I heard happened is, is he said, you know, I'd pay for the four-year max or, or something, like right off the fifth year, and they said, oh, that's too much too. But if you weren't going to do that, why wouldn't you get rid of him at the deadline? Totally. Because you know somebody's going to. It, it, that made no sense to me. You know, and I, I, I think that, you know, they, they, the, Rogier wasn't truly a trade. Maybe they'll make it a sign-and-trade for cap reasons, but... It was really, you know, Boston sure. just needed the cap space. But Rogier played very, very well in the playoffs last the year before. Um, is he a winning player? I mean, he, at least he won a playoff series. I have no idea. I think that going back to the West, the West now, yeah, that's right. You had the Lakers. You had the Clippers that take on Mo Harkless, that take on Patrick Beverly, kind of in a standstill, trying to just see what's out there. They made the playoffs this year. They still have Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell and most of their whole team's together Daniel still. Daniel Gallinari. Ch- and, 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 Gallinari and, 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 and Shai Alexander, yep. And, well, that's, he, he, he could be the next emerging player. He looked super at the end of last year. Yeah, he's definitely an emerging player. Um, I mean, you stay in California, Doc, and you get to Golden State, who is, doesn't have Durant anymore. They're retiring his number, but they don't have him anymore. Clay Thompson will be back. At That's like point. Jewish guilt, retiring his number. That's exactly what it is. That is really like Jewish guilt. I have to, to, to say it. It's like it's, it, 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 it's we're going to make him feel like he was a real warrior mm-hmm. at this point in time. I mean, you know, you could have waited till his career was done or something like that. Well, they still are. They said at some point they'll retire his number. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the ultimate in Jewish guilt. Agreed. 
They then go out and sign, you said before the program you liked it and during on the show, D'Angelo Russell from the Nets. And they're going to pass on some assets to Minnesota and clear up space and whatnot. But in this move, you lose Durant, and really you start cracking away at that dynasty because you trade away Andre Iguodala as well to free up cash space for D'Angelo Russell. You said you liked the fit. I think they had to get younger, more athletic. I mean, we were talking about this, that if everybody came back, I thought it was sentiment more than intelligence. You know, I think that, you know, that they need some younger pieces to rewind, come back, you know, and you make a decision with Clay next year. If, if you're in it, you bring him back in March. Right. If you're out of it, right, 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 right. sabbatical, okay? You know, you know he's going to come back at, at 100%. Um, I, I think they need younger, more, you know, younger, more athletic core. I think that, you know, sometimes when you stay the same, it becomes too static. And it wasn't, it, it, obviously staying the same for next year would have been fine, but you would have had to be in the same for two years, and now you are going to guarantee two five-year contracts and you have Draymond Green coming up next year, and you have to keep Curry under contract, I think that you would have gotten too stale. Uh, that, I agree with that. You're bringing in talent. D'Angelo Russell is talented. No doubt about that. Right. He, in, in 23 years old and getting better. And, 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 you know, again, D'Angelo Russell is a very good, you know, slasher, you know, with his floating shots, and he's taller than most guards. And with Steph Curry opening up that lane for him, He's going to get a lot of shots, you know, the way they move the ball around. So I, I think he's going to play well with them, especially without Clay Thompson on the floor. So I think it works. You know, it, it, it puts them back, in my mind, to 45 to 50 wins. Just with Draymond Green, him, and, 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 and Clay. The team that everybody's talking about, Doc, in the Western Conference Utah. is the Utah Jazz. That's correct. The Utah Jazz, they go out and make the trade for Mike Conley. They now have a point guard to pair up next. Uh, to Donovan Mitchell. They go out and sign a big man to replace Derek Favors. That's Big Ed Davis. Two years, $10 million. They give Boyan Bogdanovich four for 73 to give them a defensive whiz and a big-time shooter to go along with Joe Ingles there. What do you think of what Utah has done? I thought Bo played LeBron James as tough as anybody out there. I think he's a tough player. Um, I think that everybody loves Mike Conley. I don't know. One of the things I wonder about Mike Conley is, is, is like he's always been picked as everybody's most underrated player. Does, has he been underrated so long that people are overrating him? <laughs> you know, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, you know, I think he's probably lost a step. He's very, very heady. Um, but he is an upgrade over Ricky Rubio because Rubio has a terrible release and is at best a set shooter. You know, he's a good, Rubio's a very good passer, and he's very, you know, sees the court real well. But Conley's a much better driver and disher than Ricky Rubio and much better shooter. So that's an upgrade. I, I think, you know, Ed Davis, I think favors to favors is, is pretty much a push at a lower price, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, again, the real issue with Utah is... Can Donovan Mitchell take it to the next level and be more efficient? You know, to, to be perfect, the human highlights film his first year 
Last year he was good, but he can also shoot you out of the ball, shoot you out of the game. And he has to become a more efficient player for them to make the next leap. No doubt. I mean, that, that would be my take. I, 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 I still think that everybody's underrating Denver. So I was going to get to Denver, and I was going to get to Houston in a moment, because these are the two Western Conference powers, if you will, that haven't done anything yet. Houston has re-signed Austin Rivers. They have re-signed uh, Daniel House. They have brought back Gerald Green. They haven't done anything. Denver Nuggets, outside of drafting Bull Bowl and maybe getting Michael Porter Jr. out there, they haven't done anything either. They extended Jamal Murray, but they haven't done anything. Is this one of those cases, you mentioned Milwaukee, that if you were Milwaukee, you would do everything you can to just keep this core together and see what you can build upon? Keep this, this core and then get, get your, your, your best player at, towards the deadline. Right. You know, as soon as, as soon as the teams like the Knicks falter, you pick up... You pick up whatever you can. You pick up whatever you can to do you add feel, on. Do you feel the same way when it comes to the Rockets and the Nuggets? Well, you know, the Rockets seem to... You, you know... I couldn't figure out what the Rockets were doing getting rid of P.J. Tucker and Clint Capella. And the only thing that I can think of was Darren Morey was thinking was that the competition was no longer the Golden State Warriors. I think that he picked those players thinking that everything was the Warriors or bust and that he didn't think having P.J. Tucker against, if, if you weren't playing the Warriors and that wasn't your Draymond Green matchup, right. was... Is, is is as significant. I, I I honestly think that he he's he's really been playing against one team for the last two years, so I think he's reshuffled the deck and thinking about it. and And I really don't know who he thinks his competition is mm-hmm. to 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 do that. You know, the the real question is: Can their style of isolation ball a make it through the season without their players killing each other? Okay, and b actually win a big seventh game. And, you know, my, 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 you know, my sixth sense in watching James Harden is that he's got tons of miles on the speedometer. Mm-hmm. And when you get to crunch time, there's just something missing in the playoffs that he just can't finish the same way. And, plus, and then there's something else that's going on, which is that he's such a whiner that... Everything that is happening to him on the court is magnified. So there are going to be games where he gets the calls and games that he doesn't get the calls, and that they, their season is based on, and on how those games may be called. We've seen that the last couple of years now for James Harden and the Houston Rockets. A couple of more teams uh, I do want to mention here, Doc, before we move away and, and, and wrap this up. Um, the Phoenix Suns with Ricky Rubio. You said they signed him because, well, nobody else wanted him. I don't get what the Suns are doing. I really don't. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, you mean from the Suns' standpoint or from... from yeah, well, the Rubio's going to take the money wherever he can find the money. Right. But, yeah. With the young team, why, why sign... Uh, yeah, what do you sign Ricky Rubio for? What does that do? I, 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 you know, and, and this is one of the, the lessons is just having high draft picks doesn't make a team. Right. I mean, because they've had a ton of high draft picks, so you have to develop the talent, and somehow the talent has to be better. I don't think there's any one secret sauce, you know, but if you look at, you know, Toronto, for example, there were several keys for Toronto winning the championship. 
perhaps the biggest key, key, key was Pascal Siakam being better than any of us thought he was. Mm-hmm. One more team I want to mention. Sacramento Kings. Another team that I just have no clue about clue what they're doing. Now, they fired their head coach on a year that there was clear progress made. I mean, they were in it. Who's a le- good coach? Who's a good coach? Absolutely, DJ Yeager. Absolutely. It's a team that clearly made progress. But, but that's the second time he's been fired when you, at least from the outskirts, don't think he should have been fired in both Memphis and there. So you wonder if he either grates people or stuff like that. Because if you look yes, at... Yes, yes. And I would feel that way if this happened, right? In... Right before Dave Yeager was announced the head coach of the Kings, head coach is Mike Malone, who was just, out of nowhere, they were going in the right direction. They fired him. He's now the coach of Denver and entrenched. When Jaeger was, hired, was fired rather as coach of Memphis, they went through all this upheaval in their front office. I mean, they changed everybody. So they're like, okay, he was a casualty of that. I look at the Kings, who have done this now three, four times, they have no plan. They have no idea. They've drafted some really talented young players in De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley, uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, who they let go. Where did uh, he sign? Nowhere yet. Harry Giles. But then they bring in these, sh- I was going to say schmucks, but then they bring in these guys like a Dwayne Dedman, Rashawn Holmes, Trevor Ariza. And I'm like, what are you doing? How, how does this help you? Develop your younger players. It doesn't. It's, they're like the Knicks. Yeah, well, I, although I would say that right now DeAndre Fox is more valuable. Darren Fox, but yeah. yeah it, it, it is a more, more, more valuable asset than anything that the Knicks have. He's lightning quick. Mm-hmm. He's lightning quick. He's really good. Uh, I mean, his problem. And Corey the, Joseph, three years, $37 million? And, you know, Buddy Heald has outperformed for them and, and played very well. And, you know, but if you were the Knicks, would you have preferred somebody in the Stein mode to Bobby Portis and then have, like, kind of twin towers? Or you think that, you know, Cauley Stein just doesn't work in today's NBA? So my answer initially would have been Willie Cauley Stein. I'd rather have Cauley Stein uh, than Bobby Portis. But despite the punch to Nikola Miritich a couple of years ago, People say that Bobby Portis is a like, hard-working veteran and, and, and he's good for the locker. And I was like, oh, really? Bobby Portis? Um, and they say Willie Cauley-Stein has some attitude issues. That's the last thing I want on this Knicks team is attitude issues. That's why I never wanted the Morris twins who are still out there. I don't, want, I don't need their drama. They're going to be Lakers. They're going to be Lakers. Still need shooting, though. Yes, Marcus Morris can shoot. They can shoot. He can shoot. They can shoot. Both of them can shoot. I mean, it's all, you get them confused. Who's, who's the better one there? I think the better one, you know, historically the better one was on Washington, but I thought the guy on the Celtics played better last year. But the Kings giving Harrison Barnes, re-signing him for four, four years for $85 million. Harrison Barnes? Harrison Barnes is a $9 million player. And he's made a lot of money in his career. Oh, yeah. He's made a lot of money. I mean, he was the, he was the player that the, the Warriors exiled after they drafted. Kevin Durant, and they drafted they they Kevin Durant. Yeah. Bring, bring Kevin Durant through. So, let, let, before we leave the NBA, so... so Give me who you think your NBA semifinalists are. You know, top two in the East, top two in the West. Right now, I think Milwaukee's certainly still in the East. And I think Toronto, depending on Kawhi, right? Okay. If Kawhi's gone, I'll put Philly there. Um, if Kawhi stays, I'll put Kawhi there. Okay. And, and, and the Raptors. In the Western Conference, it's a really interesting year. 
Really, really interesting. Of course, that Durant and Clay uh, with Golden State. I have to think and I have to imagine Golden State takes a step back. I really believe they will. I think Denver's there. I think Denver had a really good learning experience last year. They'll need to get over this hump, but they are as good as any team in the Western Conference. So I'll say Denver. And you know what? A lot of people are going to say the Lakers with Anthony Davis and LeBron. But I'm going to say Houston. I'm going to say that now that Golden State's not in their way, Houston's as good as any team in the NBA scoring the basketball. And I think they give this thing one more go. And I'll put Houston in my final four. Do you think their culture can come back? All the stuff with Dan Tony, the drama. You, do you, Doc, winning cures everything. If they win. If they win. If they, it's a long they season. Don't win, they don't have to win at all. They get the finals. They have to get past Golden State. It's a, it's a long season. It is. How does Mickey Calloway have a job? I don't know. I don't know. By the way, that was something we got wrong. I said that Brody, successful people would find, and it's a little bit early, but I can't understand. I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've never seen a team blow more late game. How much, is that, how much of that is on him? It's always a hard question to answer. Mm-hmm. How much, you know, and I, 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 I think that in baseball, the manager means less between the lines, but I think they mean an awful lot outside the lines okay, and how to manage men and, and stuff like that. But what's really, really, you know, amazing when you take a step back is, and, and they have to revert to the mean at some point, is the Mets have gotten MVP years out of McNeil and Alonzo, you know, which is 25% of your starting lineup coming out. De- DeGrom has been fantastic. You know, they've gotten... MVP years, their starting pitching has been okay. It hasn't been lights out. It's been okay. It's been good enough. Vargas has pitched fine. fine, mm-hmm. And they're 10 games under 500 with a guy hitting 350 who hasn't made a clutch yeah. out. Lean league and batting average. And, 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 and a rookie with 28 home runs. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do. Yeah. I mean, and, you, you know, you look and... I don't know. There seems to just be something wrong, and I don't know what else you do. Is it Mickey Calloway's fault? I have no idea, but you, you got to do something. It seems to be something wrong. Wait, you, you fire Dave Island, you bring in an 82-year-old to be the pitching coach? That was just craziness. It, it, you know, it's, it, it, what, what is, why are you holding on to Mickey Calloway? What is the reason at this point? What do you need to see? I, 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 you know, again, I think you, 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 you know, to me, Rosario is a bellwether, okay? Mm-hmm. That he has a great batting average with bases loaded. That usually tells me that there's a lack of concentration when he doesn't feel. You've said that a lot about about Ahmed Rosario. Okay? A lack of concentration, which, again, I think is, 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 is a manager. I think that, you, you know, Robinson Cano, I, I'm going I'm to say it. You know, when is somebody going to actually be somewhat honest and say that, you know, when somebody gets caught with steroids, the problem may not be immediate. It may be a year later when they're being scrutinized. And, you know, if, if he completely falls off this quickly and doesn't resuscitate his career, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's that he was a steroid player. And mind you that, you know, steroids are given like candy down in Caribbean countries. Mm-hmm. And we can argue all we want. But, you know, he gets caught last year. Okay, Again, he had the whole offseason to train with it. Okay, you know, this year 
when he came into spring training, it was lights out. But now he's subject to being tested on a regular basis, and all of a sudden he falls like you can't imagine. You can't resuscitate it, okay? I'm very suspicious. We've said it for months now. We said it during fantasy draft season, that how much of the performance is related to steroids. It's a ton. The answer is, but but it's not immediate. Like, people think it's like Superman's cape. Right. What what steroids allow people to do is it allows them to train harder and have a lower refractive period. Mm -hmm. So... The, 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 the mistake that fans make, okay, is that they think that if Greg Sussman and Mitch Roslin take steroids, that we'd be so much better, that we, it would be performance in hand. The answer is no. We'd be still slow slubs, you know, weekend warriors. We try our best. We try our best. It wouldn't make, it wouldn't, wouldn't make us. But steroids can take an extreme athlete who works really hard. Like, people don't give Barry Bonds credit for working as hard as he did Mm -hmm. and make his work more efficient so he has a lower refractive time and can come back. And and, and that's what you're seeing in Cano is that his off-season training and the dog days and his little injuries don't allow him to recover. And what used to be a line drive is now a ground ball to second base or shortstop. What did you think of the London series? The Yankees and the Sox. You know, I was in France this weekend, so I I I, what? I, wow. I, I, I went to France on Wednesday. I came back oh my la- God. last night for a medical meeting to speak at uh, a medical meeting in Montpellier, France. It was only 113 degrees there on Friday. Oh my, God. my feet were melting. Um, and, oh, so you had a great weekend. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. So I, I you know I only saw the box score, but I I heard it was like 200 250 feet to to left field. Yeah, it was the ball was flying out. Yeah, it was fun. And you, but uh, I'll say this, unrelated to London, but you talk about the Mets and how they handle players all the time. How the Yankees have handled Luis Severino has been a joke. Like we, when Noah Syndergaard last year, or this year, I don't even remember anymore, was getting the MRI, and I don't want an MRI, I don't like MRIs, I'm not going to do this. Luis Severino doesn't like the MRI machine, so you're going to let him start throwing when he tells you he feels good? Well, no, that's a little bit more complicated than that. Luis Severino had two. The Yankees, if I know the story correctly, he had an MRI when they signed him to the contract. Yes. Okay? Yep. And they said there was no damage. Right. And then they did an MRI on him when he said he couldn't throw, right. and there was absolutely no change on it. Well, what they said, then they had the MRI that said he had a strained lat. No, I think the MRI, I, see, my interpretation when you read between the lines was the M- MRI was normal, and he said when they moved his arm that it hurt. So they diagnosed him with a strange lat, but there was not, this, was, this is in the, 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 the Kawhi thing. But even, but even since your then, imi- Doc, though. Your imaging is normal, okay, and you play but you're not. But you're not right. You're not right. Okay, but then tell me this. So that's, but, that was my interpretation. Fine, and they, that, that's fine. But how now, three months later, do you let him start throwing, have his program, and not medically test if that lat is okay? Brian Cashman because, says because he doesn't like the MRI machine. No, because, because I would tend to believe because the MRI is not showing anything. So, so, okay. so it, it, let's say, for example, you, 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 you come to me, okay, and, and these are always, you know, I always tell you the same thing. The hardest injuries to treat is when the subjective and the objective don't match. Right. Okay? So subjectively, you know, it feels like something in your elbow. Can't throw. Objectively, the MRI matches where you have pain. 
fix it, you have a target. Mm -hmm. What I would perceive as happening with Severino is what we would, you know, label a tired arm and stuff like that. When you move his physical exam in different directions, you're seeing strain and tenderness in an area, but the MRI is not showing true damage. They're saying he's 90% healed. How do they know that then? They're just telling you that when they move his arm, that's the way he feels. Got it. So, so my guess is the MRI on him has always been read in normal. So how many times are you going to repeat a normal test? Got it. Now, now I don't think the Yankees care about the cost of medicine. Of but not. But, but, but it's, there's nothing to be gained Got it. from the fact that his MRI has always been normal and his fastball is not exploding. Last piece of news I want to get into then. Right before the, the, um, our show started, the horrible, horrible news in regards to Tyler Skaggs. Yeah, I, you know, I just saw that he passed away and they That's didn't it. say anything. That's it. That's all I have is that there's no foul play suspected. He was found passed out in his hotel room in Texas at 2 p.m. this afternoon. Pronounced dead on the scene. So, I mean, you, you, you know, you, you, you hate to speculate, but obviously an episode of sudden death, which is a cardiac arrhythmia, and then the real question is, is what precipitates that? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you always have to be, you know, usually 20, thank God, you know, we, we have a sense of security that usually 27-year-olds don't fall asleep, you know, and, 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 and die. Um, you know, we've seen people on the court, you know, I, I've always read this stuff interestingly, you know, I think the most famous was Hank Gathers. Now, he had a condition called, you know, an idiotropic hyper... (laughs) You're not going to get me to say it. Idiopathic hypertrophy of the the heart muscle, uh, IHSS, okay? And that becomes more dangerous when you become dehydrated, and they put him on beta blockers to prevent an arrhythmia, but beta blockers eliminate your ability to mount a heart rate so he didn't like taking them because of the symptoms that he felt. And they're not great drugs for young males. Uh, so he had IHSS, didn't take his beta blocker um, with his idiopathic hypertrophy of the heart. And then basically the outlet closed and he had an episode of sudden death. Pete Maravich, which was absolutely fascinating, played his entire basketball career with one coronary artery. He was born with a congenital heart you know, heart heart ailment that was never spotted back in those days, nor would you unless he was even symptomatic today. You might have picked it up on an EKG or something unlikely or an echo, depending on how much they screen. The NBA probably doesn't if you don't have a heart murmur or some shortness of breath or something, uh, you know, or an enlarged heart on on a regular chest X-ray. It was interesting. Then we've had people that have had Morphin syndrome, like low hymen and, and, and aneurysms. A lot of players that have had sudden death, I mean, you don't know if it was something congenital, but it had been blood clots, or, you know, you always have to be suspicious in 25 and 27-year-olds. Most of the time when they come into the ER, it's somewhat substance-related. That's what you have to be much, you know, you know the first thought is whether, what the tox screen is going to show. I'm sure we'll hear more uh, on this horrible, horrible but it's news. A, it's just ra- rather unfortunate, and, you know, again, it, it, it goes to... You know, you, you, you know, you have everything when you have your health. Um, and, and I think that's what's, what's interesting, you know, what goes into players and I think has an effect on Kawhi, which is kind of why I think he may be a little reluctant to take a one-year deal. With the player option, that's the thing. And still a two-year deal. Sure. I, that, he won't take a one-year deal without that player option. It's the LeBron. It's the LeBron. Yeah, he'll take it with the player LeBron. option. But, but will he turn down five? That's a question that I'm sure by next Monday we'll have an answer to. 
Dr. Mitchell Roslin, this has been a blast as always. Broke down the entire NBA free agent slate. A week from now, we'll have an answer on Kawhi Leonard. It will be the MLB All-Star race, so we'll kind of take uh, take the task. What you've seen in the first half, we'll make some predictions, of course, for the second half as well. It should be a very fun show. He's Dr. Mitchell Roslin. I am Greg Sussman. We appreciate all of you tuning in. We appreciate the time. Check back all of our other episodes here on demand. All you got to do is go to YouTube and search for Doc Jock. Have a wonderful night. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Good night.